here we are another week another week two more ladies two more drinks <laughs> like i i'm starting to feel like it's on repeat i love I it i love I it it's autopilot it's like this is what i have to do thursday night mm-hmm. and you know when peg calls me she'll be like i know it's podcast night <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like well if you know right then why are you calling leave me be <laughs> i have things to do obviously drink and talk about women i know oh but yeah, I usually say that's not what we're here to talk about, but that's exactly what we're here to talk about because it's our story. On the rocks! With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we're drinking the entire time. And we're not historians, but we put out some good stuff. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You know, we do our best <laughs> for the week's work. <laughs> right. And Alongside our other jobs. You know, full time. Um... <laughs> Furthermore, like last week's episode, so fun. So fun. Miss Piggy and Joan Crawford, like that, that was, was a dream ideal. come true. It was a really, really good evening yeah. to enjoy. Agreed. That was really fun. We had a great Patreon conversation about mugs. Uh, but then when I got home, I was so sad because I missed two mugs in my collection, two very important ones, which was my cheese mug mm. and my commissioner mug. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. That was a big one. So sorry about that, everybody. Um, this week, I don't know what we want to talk about on Patreon. Usually we figure it out through the episode. We'll be like, let's not talk about that on air. Let's figure it out later. So stay tuned for that, guys. And if you want to join our Patreon and help support the show for as little as a dollar a month, you can listen to our absolutely insane conversations that we get into after we've had a couple of cocktails. Um, (laughs) and sometimes they're really inappropriate and really Mm -hmm. personal and, uh, things that we should not release to the public. Oh, absolutely not. So do you want to get in on that? Join us on Patreon. Uh, and we do have to thank one listener this week. Splunky. <laughs> so good, I, good job sounding that I, out. I looked at it because I was like, it looks like Splunky, but there's an extra L in there. Splunky. We got a review. The review was so sweet. So thank you so much. And yes, we are always working on microphone and, and sound, sound. <laughs> it's crazy it's like i'll set it and it'll be great yeah and then the next week i don't know what happens yeah. <laughs> i don't know what happens it's insane <laughs> whatever uh, but it was great and if you'd like to leave us a review and get your name shout out sh- shout it out <laughs> jesus christ just like jesus yes <laughs> i was gonna retake it and then i was like whatever forget it um, uh, but yeah. yeah we'll shout you out we'll shout you out just contact us be yes. a part of our lives Please be do. best friends with us like everybody else <laughs> um but as we know and as you know you're busy still cleaning up from your super bowl party honestly <laughs> or your valentine's day dinner mm-hmm. or your mardi gras party mm-hmm. or your ash wednesday right there's, there's so much so, like on. this week was jam-packed mm-hmm. the next fun thing we have is leap year <laughs> I, I am it. very excited. I about. love a leap year day. I love doing something like stupid and quirky. I don't know why it's not like a bigger thing. I know people are weird about it. Well, my theory to Casey was like, nobody wants to make money every four years. Sure. They want to make money every year. Okay. But there's like fun. But there's money to be. There's on, a lot there's of fun things. Like we, <laughs> my kids have only done it twice now, so they might be too old for this now, but we always see how far we can jump. We That's put cute. like tape on the floor like and like that. run up and see who can jump the farthest. Of course, producer always wins because he's mm-hmm. over six foot tall, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter. That's just fun. Maybe yeah. we'll do jump ropes. We'll see who can do the most. Ooh, that'd be a good one. Um, so anyways, you guys are busy and we know that and we respect that. So we want to describe the way these women look to you so that you have a picture in your head while we're telling you their story without having to Google it. We're going to get a little busy. 
physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? I am doing Cassie Chadwick. That's not her birth name, okay. but we'll figure that out later. She is not extraordinary, really, in any way. She has a oval face, brown hair, um, sometimes with, like, some curly bangs in the front. She loved extravagant clothing, though, and wearing, like, fancy dresses, mm-hmm. even though she is pretty much relatively plain. Mm-hmm. As she aged, her frown lines grew, like, mm-hmm. a little bit more noticeably. Um, and we know that because we have a lot of pictures of her holding a number in front of herself in other words a lot of mug shots <laughs> we have a lot of mug shots of cassie chadwick that's perfect so that's what she looks like you can look her up and just see how she looked at different ages yeah. via the um government taking photos of her all right <laughs> who are you doing and what does she look like i am doing Scylla black uh Scylla is a petite british woman with an oval face a small mouth full cheeks and half moon shaped eyes she has two iconic looks The first was when she was a pop star in the 60s. She was very mod and her red hair was most often in kind of like a poofy bob that curled under her chin. She wore lots of chic mini dresses, which showed off her skinny little legs paired with oftentimes pointed leather Mary Jane shoes. And in her later career in the 80s, her hair was still big, but more curled and back off of her face, sometimes in a bit of a mullet. (laughs) And she was wearing what would have been fashionable then. So gauzy dresses with big sleeves and lots of sparkle. So that is what she looks like. Fairly interesting. I don't know anything about this woman, but I do want to know what I'm drinking. Uh, So this is called Surprise Surprise. And it is gin, cara cara orange juice, Campari, maple syrup. Angostura bitters, and then you top the whole thing off with Prosecco. Mm. So cheers. Cheers. Mm, so good. I like that. It's really, really good. Sometimes Aperol can be a little bitter and then adding bitters to it, but having the champagne mm. sweetens it up. That's really yeah, nice. I like that a lot. And it's cute. <laughs> I love an up and down. I love a vertical. Yes. Fruit slice. I agree. A wheel. A wheel. A up and vertical down. wheel. <laughs> I, lo- I think As it God looks, intended it. Right. <laughs> I think it looks the caveman intended yeah. it like that, honestly. <laughs> I think it looks really nice in a, a cut glass like this. So it looks yeah. very lovely. And God, how I've missed gin. I know. Now that the weather is like nicening mm-hmm. up, I'm like, oh, I've been drinking so much bourbon. Yep. Exactly. Thank so God. This is a nice this. light. I think it's a very springy cocktail. It really is. As spring is rounding the corner. It's a brunch cocktail for sure. Yes. Um, all right. So you said you don't know anything about I don't know. Black. I know <laughs> nothing about her. I mean, I looked up a picture of her when you told me who you were doing, mm-hmm. but I don't know anything about her. Perfect. So this is a interesting story. Um, Scylla is a person who has a lot of like against like the cocktail is called surprise surprise for a particular reason but also she just had a lot of, like a lot of surprises in her life where i was like i've never heard of this person and she's like very famous in the uk <laughs> oh wow um and now she's famous here but for a very particular reason huh so i can't wait to find yeah. out tell me tell me tell me uh oh and my sources are a bbc Scylla black profile that of they course. did um and then wikipedia i love the bbc honestly <laughs> great honestly <laughs> Priscilla, which also I I was like, what the hell kind of name is Scylla? And I was like, oh, it's short for Priscilla. That's cute. That makes sense. That's really cute. <laughs> Priscilla Maria Veronica White was born in the Vauxhall District of Liverpool on May 27th, 1943. 
Her mother was Priscilla Blythen, and her father was John Patrick White, both of whom were Irish and Welsh with family ties to the area of Wrexham, which is now famous <gasps> for the Ryan Reynolds football team. I know exactly what that's <laughs> yeah. famous for. I watched that. Yes. And, oh, gosh, what is it? Rob McElhenney. Yeah. Rob McElhenney and um, Ryan, yeah, Ryan Reynolds. Because <laughs> it was Rob McElhenney's idea, but he yes. was like, I need somebody with movie star money. Like, yes. TV star money is not enough no. <laughs> to buy a sports team. <laughs> so she was raised in a Roman Catholic household and attended St. Anthony's School in Scotland Road. She later attended Anfield Commercial College, where she learned office skills. And she spent some time working in an office, but Scylla knew that her destiny lie in the entertainment industry. As she liked to say, <laughs> I just knew I was a star. <laughs> like, really bad. She knew it. She knew it. From the, from the get-go, when she was sitting down learning her office skills. <laughs> I have never seen a more confident person than Scylla Black. Good. They would be like, were you shocked when your song hit number one on the chart? She goes, no, because it was a good song. <laughs> I mean, listen, that's the kind of energy I want to bring to my daily life. It was a good song. So, so of course, yeah, of people course like it. How, how could they not? <laughs> I just like, I really loved her confidence. And yeah, she was like, I'm a star. I know it. So she decided that she needed to get a job in the middle of the action. She became a coat check girl at the Cavern Club, which is now a very famous music venue because the Beatles were frequent performers here before they made it big. So like mm. this was where they regularly played and had like a really solid following of Liverpudlians. Well, yeah, but you said she was born in Liverpool, right? Yeah, so she's like in the neck of the woods. Yes, she is. Yeah, so she's, she's right near the church. Mm -hmm. So she's working in an office during the day, sometimes at a coffee shop called the Zodiac, and then at the club at night and performing whenever she could. The club would allow Scylla to perform on occasion, and she caught the attention of the Beatles, who were also there performing. <gasps> she caught their eye because she was singing the same songs that they were into, mainly like soul and R&B hits. And one of her favorite artists to cover was Dionne Warwick. She became really good friends with the Beatles. They were really impressed with her, especially John, so they tried to help her out. They'd be playing at the cavern and would call her up saying, Scylla, give us a song. <laughs> so she'd like write music for them or they just like to listen to her sing? This is the greatest twist. They wrote music for her. What? Which we'll get into. Boys. So they'd be like, Scylla, come on, give us a song. And she'd go up there. That's not Liverpool. I know it's not a Liverpool accent. It's like we're doing what we a can. different area. But that's the best I got. Um, and... Eventually, she did get hooked up with Liverpool promoter Sam Leach, who booked her first gig at the Zodiac Club on Duke Street, where she appeared as Swingin' Scylla. <laughs> she also started getting gigs as a guest singer with the Mercy Beats Band, Rory Storm and the Hurricanes, and Kingsley Taylor and the Dominoes. For any music files out there who may know who any of those people are. Not a soul. <laughs> so her name was getting out there, and she was even featured in an article in the first edition of the local music music newspaper the mercy beat um by the paper's publisher bill harry who mistakenly referred to her as scylla black rather than scylla white but she thought it was kind of cool so she kept it it sounds That's better i mean honestly it sounds yeah. better mm -hmm. like it sounds more mysterious a little bit yeah well i also think scylla white kind of sounds like a type of like uh, aluminum foil mm -hmm. or like uh cellophane yeah scylla you know? white scylla white Sounds like a whiteout yeah. product. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so she signed her first contract with longtime friend and neighbor Terry McCann, but this contract was never honored as it was made when she was underage, uh, which at that time was, I guess, 21, which is kind of surprising because I feel like it's always been younger. Yeah. Maybe to sign contracts because I know the drinking age has always been younger. Yeah, but think about how, like, you can't get, like, a rental car until you're 25. Mm. Like, there's certain things that are, like, mm-hmm. you need to have. They want to make sure that you understand the law appropriately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So John Lennon decided to introduce her to Brian Epstein, the Beatles manager. Hmm. He didn't seem super interested in her, but agreed to let her audition for him. And the Beatles were kind enough to provide the music for her. But unfortunately, it did not go to plan. She said, I'd chosen to do Summertime, but at the very last minute, I wish I hadn't. I adored this song and had sung it when I came to Burkhead with the Big Three, but I hadn't rehearsed it with the Beatles, and it had just occurred to me that they would probably be playing it in the wrong key. It was too late for second thoughts, though. With one last wicked wink at me, John set the group off playing. I'd been right to worry. The music was not in my key, and any adjustments that the boys were now trying to make were too late to save me. My voice sounded awful. Destroyed and wanting to die, I struggled on to the end. So this is her big fucking... And, like, Brian Epstein, he's very famous. Yes, yeah. He's very famous. Can you imagine? Have you ever been in the middle of doing something and know it's bad while you're doing it? And, and like, get me out of it constantly. Um. (laughs) Get me. Like, I know how bad this is. Please make it stop. It's the worst. And then you have to continue. Um, What grace. What grace that takes to finish anyway. Instead of being like, stop, it's in the wrong key. I know. Because you can do that can at an audition. That. Like, can we go high? Like, they are professional musicians. They can just play in a different key. Mm-hmm. I know. So. She, I think she's just like, I'm 20 years old or however old she is. And she's like, I'm, I don't think she had the confidence yet to be like, wait, I can like stop this whole thing. I yeah. don't know. But it she takes just a, with it. It takes a force to do that. Yeah. To be like, actually, wait, can we start over? Yeah. So Brian was not impressed, uh, but one day he happened to catch her at the Blue Angel Jazz Club, and he was very impressed with her then, and he was like, oh, okay, she can absolutely sing. Now I get it. And he made her his only female client (gasps) in 1963. Whoa. He then introduced her to George Martin, who signed her to Parlophone Records and produced her debut single, Love of the Loved, which I love because they always pronounce it Love of the Loved. (laughs) That's Liverpool, I think. That's good. Love of the Loved. Find me Um, one person that can do the difference between Baltimore City and Baltimore County in England. (laughs) And then I will be mad that we can't do their accents. Um, And this song is special because Paul McCartney and John Lennon wrote it and gave it to her. Just so cool. The single peaked at a modest number 35 in the UK, a relative failure compared to his other clients. But how can you really be expected to compete with the fucking Beatles? Right. (laughs) Um, But yeah, she didn't write her own songs, but she did a lot of covers and sang a lot of songs written by people like Phil Spector and, of course, Lennon and McCartney. She once even did a cover of Randy uh, Randy Newman's song. (laughs) Um, And he said... Scylla Black's I've Been Wrong Before is about the best cover record anyone has ever done of my songs, which is such a compliment. Like, it's so cute. She is a very good singer. Like, she's very emotional. She's a big belter. And a lot of people, when they heard her singing, they thought that she was black. 
because she did a lot of like R&B covers, mm, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people when she got on TV were kind of surprised. They're like, oh, that's <laughs> you, that's what you sound like. <laughs> kind of like a the never going to give yeah, you up. Yeah, never going to give you up. Like <laughs> he's like, a white guy. Also a ginger. Yeah. Like, what? I can't. Yeah, I can't with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so her second single released in 1964, and it was a cover of a Burt Bacharach Hall David composition, Anyone Who Had a Heart, um, which had been written for Dionne Warwick. So Dion had sung it to great success in the U.S., but only Scylla's version played in the U.K. Because oh. they had to release them separately. It's not like you just upload it on one Spotify. It's kind of like how books are now. How, like right. You have a U.K. release, you have a, a U.S. release. So only Scylla's version is playing over here. It shoots to number one. And she had covered a few of Dion's songs over the years, as we had said earlier. Um, she was a really big influence on her. But the problem was her covers were the only versions being released in the U.K. So Dion Warwick got a little irritated sometimes because sometimes people would be like, oh, you're singing that Scylla Black song. And she's like, no, that's my fucking song. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that is frustrating. <laughs> you know, and I think especially for like, like, it kind of feels like a white woman like taking your songs from sure, you. Sure, yeah. Like, that doesn't feel good. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and like now they're it's like your song is number one on the charts in like this other kind. Like, but it's not you singing it. Like, I can understand how that feels bad. It's frustrating, you know? but it also all depends on like the record companies. Mm-hmm. Like, if you wrote the song and play the song and sing the song, then yeah, it is your song. But if somebody else wrote the lyrics. That record company can have somebody else sing the lyrics and it doesn't belong to you, even Mm -hmm. though you are the first person to record it. Yeah. We've done like a couple episodes about women like racing to the record studio to record. Yeah. Leslie Gore. Right. So (laughs) it's like that happens sometimes. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, if the original song was written by. I don't think so. Yeah. So this happened a lot with especially like the female artists in the 60s. Yeah. There were songs written and then like the music company would kind of like pick and choose like who they wanted for each song. Yeah. Like we saw with the Leslie Gore story. Mm -hmm. Um, So. Well, it's what we see with like, uh, I guess to think of it as more of like a race thing. Like it's what we saw with Elvis performing a lot Mm -hmm. of black music as a cover. And then he's getting all this credit for it. And that's so frustrating. Exactly. So I think that's kind of how Dion was seeing it. Um, and like they kind of had like a long standing, I think, like rivalry from Ooh, what I read. I want a long standing rivalry. <laughs> like one of mutual respect. Yes. Mm-hmm. That would be nice. There's a lot of people I don't like, but I also don't respect. I want to. Oh, yeah. I want to not like, but also respect someone. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. That would be fun for me. Um, I need everyone to like me all the time. So <laughs> that's a bit different. No rivalries for me, please. <laughs> send, send them on over. Send them my way. <laughs> Even like other companies that do similar things to me, I'm like, they're probably doing it better. Oh my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> I'm never going to make it. I need um, you to like, you need to like drink a, a bucket of confidence in the morning. I I just, it's weird because I feel like I used to be such a confident person yeah. and it has just been slowly disintegrating you need to do those snoop dog affirmations every <laughs> morning <laughs> i take care of myself um but either way it's 1964 Scylla's star is rising and she even gets invited to perform at the london palladium and at the royal variety show which Shoot. is pretty impressive for a 21 year old yeah so with all of her success brian epstein thought it might be a good time to send Scylla over to the u.s so she goes over she got on the Ed Sullivan show, had a few other TV appearances. 
but she still wasn't charting like they hoped she would. You're My World made it to number 26 on the Billboard Hot 100, uh, and that was to be her only American Top 30 chart success. Yeah. But in a weird twist, Elvis Presley, speak of the devil, (laughs) picked it to be on his personal jukebox at Graceland. And Scylla found out because Ringo Starr had gone to visit, he saw her and he was like, you won't believe it. You're number 21 on Elvis's jukebox. (laughs) Speaking of white people who like music, that is like more traditionally from the black culture. Here he is. So funny. That is funny. I love that. Like, I just imagine like the weird moment where Ringo Starr is in Elvis Presley's house and he goes, that's a girl from my hometown. Like, that's a girl that I know from like the local pub. Can you imagine (laughs) Elvis Presley and Ringo Starr having a conversation about you? No, No. I cannot. I mean, I can't imagine having a conversation at all, frankly. I can't even (laughs) imagine like my friends having a conversation about me. No, that's insane. No, thanks. That's a. Paige and I always say, like, we're like, no one's talking about us. No one cares about us. What an A-B conversation I want to see myself into. Exactly. Sorry. That was rough. (laughs) That was a rough one. So everyone right now is in the British invasion mode, and they're all in the States. Scylla's feeling good about it because she's with the Beatles. She's with her friends. But soon it was time for the Beatles to go home. So they leave. And they have this, like, big party in the plaza, which is so cute. I can just imagine how fun that was. But then she's just stuck in the U.S. And she did get, like, a cabaret show in the plaza, which was okay. But she was mainly playing to, like, millionaires who were just trying to have lunch and didn't really care about her. (laughs) Um, So she was lonely and she was getting homesick. So she returned to the U.K. without catching her big U.S. break. So she comes back and they were like, okay, that didn't quite work. What other angles can we play with your career? The next logical step was TV and film. She starred in a small beat film and then a psychedelic comedy called Work as a Four-Letter Word. (laughs) Then she starred in the television special Scylla at the Savoy, which was one of the most watched music specials of the 1960s. But things weren't quite moving the way that Scylla wanted them to. She felt like Brian was not paying a lot of attention to her career. She was like, you're giving all of your attention to the Beatles, but like, I also need you over here. But the truth, the truth is he wasn't really paying much attention to them either. Brian was getting deeper and deeper into his own substance abuse issues. And so he really was just like, he was struggling a lot. I also did not know that he was gay and he kind of had to like he was like open about it but also not and it's like a really dangerous time to be gay so he's and like he's just dealing with a lot and again he's managing the Beatles like it's a lot but I did find some find some cool stories about how like the Beatles all knew about his sexuality and there was one time where someone came in and he was like oh so like which one of you guys have like fucked him you know or like which one of you does he fancy and they were like, we don't make jokes like that. Like, we're not working with you. Hell I, I think. I hope I'm. Yeah. <laughs> that was the story I read. And I was like, that's pretty cool that like, they were like, yeah, we just knew it. And we didn't care. Like, you know, it's just who he was. Well, if you have like a legally discriminated against like intersection and then you become a very public person. 
that is so dangerous and scary yeah. and I can see why it would lead to substance abuse and then mm -hmm. you also have money and traveling and stress like yeah. you are dealing with a layered cake of like weird situations all yeah. at the same time yeah so he's like not super there for anyone at the moment um but he was like okay I'll try to do more for you so he was like what if we submit you to the Eurovision contest but she was like, no, like a British woman won last year. Like they're not going to pick two British women in a row. Like I don't want to I keep do saying that. that about the American presidency. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> they're not going to pick two old white guys two in a row. How could they? Uh, I did love the, um, <laughs> was it John Stewart joke he made this week where he was like, they've beaten the record for the oldest presidential candidates that they set. <laughs> oh, vomit. Outrageous. I get like. No, we can't. We can't I can't. We can't. I can't. Get into I can't. It. I'm just going to get to it. Um, so then Brian was like, all right, I'm going to negotiate a contract with the BBC for you to appear in a television show of your own. The Scylla Black show. She's so excited. The paperwork is all signed. This is the Kelly Clarkson show. Yes, pretty much. Sure. But it's more like a like a variety show. Like oh. what Cher was doing in the 70s. Okay. Okay. Um, but he, um, so. Da -da -da -da. Okay. The paperwork is all signed. Everything's going. Then August of 1967, Brian Epstein tragically dies of a drug overdose. This left Scylla's boyfriend and songwriter Bobby Willis to take over management responsibilities. And of course, like everybody was just rocked by this. Like it was so devastating. Um, but thankfully she did. And like then it's like, is the show happening? <laughs> thankfully it did. Um, so Scylla aired from January 1968 to April 1976. Okay, that's a wild. That's, wild. A that's like a 9-year show. Variety show? Who's like, watching variety shows? Everybody in the 70s. I guess, I mean, I guess that was like the social media. It really was. <laughs> Where like, are you going to find the new music? That's actually a really good point. It really was because it was like who are the hot celebrities? Obviously Charo. You know, so it's like all the hot celebrities and new songs that you should be hearing are making appearances on these kinds of shows. Right. And know? like the comedians and hosts are yes. like giving jokes and like cultural touchstones in between. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a very like world building type of entertainment. Yeah. And that's the other thing is like when she got onto this and she was the host, people were like, oh my gosh, she's so fucking funny. Mm -hmm. Like they loved her like her comedic timing and styling was like so on point and then she could just be herself which everyone who knew her was like that was the best thing about Scylla was her just root personality and just her being her and the variety show and her time on tv really that was when she got to shine so the theme song for this show was step inside love and was written for Scylla by Paul McCartney he said he wanted her show to start with her inviting people in since she was already coming into their homes. <laughs> but now that she was becoming more of a TV personality, she was becoming a bit more self-conscious of her image. So she did the unthinkable at the time and got a nose job. Oh, no, rhinoplasty. Mm -hmm. One guy on the dock said, she spent 210 pounds on that nose. <laughs> I was like 210 that's a steal really like, even adjusting for inflation that is not that much no it isn't also like I feel like that's such a safe face plastic oh, surgery they are so well versed in the rhinoplasty uh, now. yeah it's like I 
the the tightening and the eye lifts like that you can do well and you can do poorly yeah and like i think filler is still a, a while away from being yes good. botox mm-hmm. filler like lips all of that can be very hard but the rhinoplasty yeah. looks great it does and they're so good at making it subtle that like people will spend hours looking at celebrities nowadays and like did they like, like you like you can see between the two photos and you're yeah. like wait is that just a weird angle is right. that a snapchat filter um weird but it obviously contouring the late 60s early 70s so it was all over the tabloids that she had done this oh my and gosh. you know now it's Leave not really that big of a be. deal but it was totally unheard of at the time but Scylla didn't mind too much i mean talking about it in the late 90s she was like yeah i hated my profile my husband supported the decision I had the money, so like, why not? Like, which is yes, why exactly. Not? Like, I wanted to do it. My partner didn't care, and I was financially responsible. Yeah, actually, he kind of encouraged her. He goes, "I think yeah. it's a great idea. Yeah, like, do what you want to do, girl." Yeah. So over the next few years, she had some more songs reach the top twenty and top ten, and her association with the Beatles continued. At the 1971 Cannes Film Festival, she joined George Harrison, Ringo Starr, and Mark Bolin to attend a screening of the. Lennon Yoko Ono experimental film called Erection. <laughs> she also holidayed with George and Ringo on a trip aboard a yacht. She actually vacationed with the crew quite a bit, which is adorable. The I, other Beatles. The other Beatles. I also saw footage of her and Ringo on a ski trip together. <laughs> and like they also were writing songs for her. Like all four of the Beatles just loved her. <laughs> She's like their little like partner in crime. Yeah. How fun. I just love that like there's Scylla in the home movies with <laughs> just <laughs> hanging out. <laughs> so at after the end of her show Scylla, she signed a contract with London Weekend Television, becoming the host of two popular and oh sorry, two of the most popular and long running evening television shows of the eighties and nineties. So there was Blind Date that um she was the host from nineteen eighty five to two thousand three. And surprise, surprise, from 1984 to 2001. So surprise, surprise was kind of a mix between a prank show and like a benevolent, like fairy godmother type of show. So its premise involved surprising members of the public with long held wishes or setting up tricks to fool members of the public, making prank phone calls to people and reuniting guests with long lost loved ones. (laughs) This is like that stupid Ashton Kutcher show that tried to bring back punk. punked. <laughs> oh, it was punk. But it's like half punked, half like heartfelt extreme renovation home edition. You know, like <laughs> extreme makeover, re- extreme makeover home edition. Yeah. That's what it's called. They were just like throwing different ideas at yeah. the wall and didn't qu- we didn't quite know reality show yet. Right. So they were like, we are either going to make you have an absolute breakdown by being embarrassed or having your life changed forever in a very positive way. <laughs> Absolutely bizarre. Honestly, I would not throw that one to chance. No. I'd be like, no, no, thank you. Show at all. No, thank you. I'd be terrified if surprise, surprise came over to me. <laughs> so I'm, a- I'm more of a let's make a deal yeah. girl. <laughs> Safe with the cases. So there's a lot going on, but people loved her. She also presented the game show, the moment of truth that ran from or 98 to 2001. She, of course, also made guest appearances on all sorts of shows, and all the programs she was on were mainstream ratings winners, and they cemented her position 
as the highest paid female performer on British television. Shit. What? So she's like very popular. Yes. Okay. In the UK, she's like, okay, she's like their Kelly Ripa. I would say. Now you're making me feel great about her. I love Kelly Ripa. Me too. Love her. I feel like just like a television staple that like everybody's like, yeah, there's Scylla on TV again. Like not surprising. Like Everybody feels like she's your best friend. mm -hmm. You know about her life and Mm -hmm. like, yeah, absolutely. So some people though didn't like her politics. Um, We do have to talk about that. She was at one time a staunch supporter of the conservative party and publicly voiced her admiration for Margaret Thatcher, stating in 1993 that Thatcher had put the great back into Great Britain. (laughs) We got to stop with that. Can we stop with that? Do I'm done. Um, Nothing's ever great. Nothing ever has been. So let's just cut the crap. What? (laughs) Who is this? Who has the world ever been great for besides the gag billionaires? The gag Great. (laughs) Just a great back in. Great Britain gagging. <laughs> I just like don't even want to deal with it. So yeah, for sure. obviously Margaret Thatcher is a very contentious character in Great Britain. So not a lot of people loved that. And she did take a step back in 2004, claiming that she was, in fact, apolitical and not a conservative. <laughs> Whoa. OK, she changed her mind. She did. You should be allowed to change her mind. Yes. So as far as her personal life goes, she and her manager, Bobby Willis, had married in January 1969. They were together for 30 years until he died from cancer in 1999. Mm. They had four sons together. 2013 and 14 were big years for celebrating Scylla. ITV honored her 50 years in show business with a one-off entertainment special, which aired on October 16th, 2019, called The One and Only Scylla Black. Then in 2014, she was the subject of a three-part television drama series called Whoa. Scylla, focusing on her rise to fame in 1960s Liverpool and her relationship with Bobby. But as Scylla got into her 70s, she started really suffering from rheumatoid arthritis. She was having a hard time with her mobility. Her hearing and her eyesight were going, and she was just not in good shape. On August 1st, 2015, Scylla had a stroke after she suffered a fall in her home. She was, and she died. Sorry. <laughs> and she died. I, <laughs> nope, that's it. She died. I'm I don't not know cutting why. it. I'm not cutting it. <laughs> I like realized that when I wrote this sentence, I was like, oh, it's not clear that she passed away from this. <laughs> she was 72 years old when she died. Oh. People in and out of the entertainment industry mourned her passing. They referred to her as a national treasure, a trailblazer, and Liverpool's Cinderella. (laughs) Upon hearing of her death, Paul McCartney said, She was a lovely girl who infected everyone with her great spirit. From first meeting her as a cloakroom girl at the Cavern in Liverpool to seeing her many times since, she always had a fun, loving dignity that made her a great pleasure to be around. She had a fine, distinctive voice and was always a bit of a laugh. It was a privilege to know and love her. In 2017, her sons honored her with a statue of her outside of the cavern where she and the Beatles got their start so long ago. Now, as famous as she is in the UK, I mean, there's literally statues of her. (laughs) She just recently became well known in the U.S., But it wasn't exactly for her 50 years in show business or her relationship with the Beatles or her incredible singing voice. 
It was for one word. Surprise. (laughs) So please prepare yourselves because I'm about to do just about the worst thing that anyone could ever do. And I'm going to describe a meme for you. Oh, no. (gasps) This is the worst. This is the worst. Everyone's going to hate me. So around 2023, maybe earlier, people started to make TikToks of random things in their life that included surprises. Some examples include when you open up the Danish butter cookie tin and there's cookies instead of sewing materials in it. When you go to start a load of laundry and the load from four days ago is still in there. (laughs) Me returning to work after having a mental breakdown and telling everyone I hated them. (laughs) And of course, featured in every one of these TikToks is a red-haired woman in a sparkly, purplish, reddish dress opening up her arms and singing, surprise, surprise, (laughs) surprise, surprise. Good. Good for her. This meme became wildly popular, (laughs) and of course, some people stopped to think, who is this woman? (laughs) I mean, have you ever seen one of these memes? No, I've never seen this. Well, I also, like, try not to spend a lot of time on TikTok, because it sucks me in. Well, I will say, TikTok on Instagram. It's not, I haven't seen it on TikTok. Yeah, but Instagram Reels. Yeah, but I I just, like, I struggle with the videos, because I go on for Hours and hours hours. without realizing my time has just been sucked away from my soul. Yeah. So just imagine Scylla. Surprise, surprise. I'm I'm envisioning it and I'm loving (laughs) it. I'm loving it. Um, So people were asking, wait, who is she? An article started to pop up about the surprise, surprise lady. And that's how I discovered her and her fascinating history. So I'm going to end on... An audio meme that, again, no one asked for or wants. <laughs> Do it. When the random woman in the viral meme turns out to be one of the most influential women in British pop culture. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> How fun. <laughs> this is our first meme. I know. What a treat. I just, I love that, like, she is now kind of famous in a very different way than the way she is already incredibly famous. Right. Because like she's literally a counterpart, like a fun buddy of the Beatles, and we know her from this stupid meme. This stupid fucking That's meme. so funny. That's so funny. All right. Well that's it for Scylla. Let's get another cocktail and go into part two. Can't wait. Like, I just feel so sad during them. And I'm not, like, a big, like, seasonal depression person. Like, being when it's dark, it doesn't really bother me. Cold definitely bothers me. I hate, mm-hmm. hate being cold. I would much rather be too hot than too cold. Sure. That's for dang sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I would rather have a heat stroke <laughs> than be cold. Uh, all right. Well, should we talk in Patreon about the way we beat <laughs> The winter blues? Maybe. I mean, I wrote down a couple things. I, okay. We could talk about reality shows <gasps> Actually, that we love. That's so I fun. I have a great opinion this week okay. on a new reality show um, called The Traders. Oh, fun. I'm not going to watch. I'm not a reality show person. Right. But there's an interesting fact that I want to talk about. So, yes, let's talk about reality shows. Okay. Because I also wrote down we could, like, do our reactions to, like, things at the Super Bowl. That's what I wrote that down, too. Halftime. <gasps> Why Reba. don't we do That's a reality show when you think about it. <laughs> Our sports reality. (laughs) 
or are they all made up and planned ahead? If it's Dumbledore, just because it happens yeah. in your head doesn't mean it's not real. Okay, you want to know what you're drinking? I do. This drink is called the Queen of Ohio, mm. and it is Irish whiskey, uh, red wine, lemon juice, and maple syrup. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. Mm. Pretty good. I like it. I, like I can't it. Ta- really taste the whiskey, which is nice because mm. I'm not a huge whiskey fan. Yeah. The Q&O. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the B&O? Is that what we're going for? That's cute. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> talking about the railroad. I like that. That's r- right in our neck of the woods. Mm. We can hear the trains from our home. <laughs> what, um, what do you know about Cassie Chadwick? I don't know anything. I think you said she was a con woman. Yeah, con artist. So, yeah, I'm guessing she was just up and down the rails swindling people. Being a girl. <laughs> Being <laughs> just a cute little no-nonsense girl yeah. in the 1800s. She really had it. Um, But, yeah, I'm imagining that, yeah, a lot of people weren't looking her way, so she was like, I'm going to take full advantage of this. Right. Like, do you think you would be a powerful, like, 1800s woman? Or do you think you would just, like, settle into, like, hmm. a traditional role? Well, okay. So, like, if I was, if my actual life was to be, like, put back in time, my family was so middle class. And uh-huh. middle class was so low class back exactly. then that I probably just would have been, like, a regular everyday worker. Right. But, like, wouldn't let my husband beat me. Right. Or cheat on me. Mm-hmm. Like, so I'd be a powerhouse mm-hmm. in that way. But if I had my choice. Mm-hmm. in the pre-gilded era i would come in hot yeah. i'd come in hot i'd be like really trying to rob some people yeah. i'd be like a, a successful cassie <laughs> yeah i just feel like it was such a time for women to be criminals oh yeah like no one was looking and at there's you. no social media no so it's like a double thing like people don't suspect women Mm -hmm. of doing something crazy and then literally you could walk into a town and change your name you could walk out of one town and into another town and change your name and you needed no paperwork yeah you need you didn't need a hundred things at the mba to like get a license i felt like a criminal today because i have to get fingerprinted and i'm renewing my passport so like on my desk today i had like this like thing from this like investigative services where i have to get the fingerprinting done and then my passport application and my old passport and i was like Wow, it looks like I'm about to go on the lamb. You should like tie some red ropes yeah. like, in between it all. And then as the case is going to come home, and think I'm leaving. Photograph it. Name has changed. This is it. Okay. So my sources, I listened to the podcast, Stuff You Missed in History Class, which Classic. we love. I watched a YouTube video called Felons and Fake Heiresses. Uh, I read Wikipedia, of course. Mm-hmm. And then The Gilded Age, which is a very popular show right now, season two includes a character named Maud Beaton, who is a take off of Cassie Chadwick. Ooh. So they are, if you are a watcher of that show, just know that she was based off this woman i've been so wanting to get into that show because it looks amazing and the costumes look so good so beautiful Mm -hmm. needs an emmy for costumes agreed if it doesn't already have one (laughs) i don't follow the emmys the way i do the grammys and the oscars maybe i should okay cassie chadwick was born elizabeth bigley she went by betsy on october 10th 1857 so this is civil war times yeah in Canada West, which is modern day Ontario. Okay. It was just called Canada West, even though like Ontario is like right in the east. <laughs> it's like I mean it's massive. Ontario's massive, but it's not like where British Columbia is on the west coast. Right. It's like 
much closer to French Canada, like near Quebec. Okay. To be honest, I know nothing. I know where like Prince Edward Island is. So and that's basically it. Okay. So it's like <laughs> north. Ontario's like north of the Mississippi River. Like it's a large area. Okay. So hundred percent sure. Okay. That's fine. We don't really need to know this. Also one of those things where like it's so big that I don't know which way it twists and turns. Yeah, I should say the above the Mississippi Delta, because then it goes like (laughs) like Alley. Am I helping? No. (laughs) You may not be familiar with the river, but are you familiar with the Delta? (laughs) I mean it like starts in Louisiana. Like it's like right there. And then it's just north from there. <laughs> Come on. As the crow sings from the Delta. That's where <laughs> it's Ontario as the crow flies, you oh. nightmare. <laughs> the crow is singing. The crow is singing. I should be thrown in jail with Cassie. No. No. <laughs> Geography is like one thing that people do not give a shit about, and I'm okay with it. Yeah. I, I mean, love it. I, I love it. I don't give a shit about it, but I just don't know anything. Yeah. I'm like an idiot. No, I love it so much. It's insane. Anyway. It was called on Canada West. Sounds like a flight thing for me, like yeah. Southwest. Anyway, <laughs> she was the third daughter in a family of either two boys and six girls or five boys and three girls. I saw both sources, and they're just like opposite information, so okay. I don't know which is true. Her parents were Daniel and Marianne Bigley. Daniel was a railroad section hand boss so a section hand is like you were in charge of a section of railroad between here and here Mm -hmm. which at that for him it was i think toronto and montreal and you just had to make sure you laid the track and repaired the track so like it wouldn't break when all the trains are doing what they got to do uh after about three years in that area the family moved to eastwood which is still in canada west and she kind of started to become a fibber at a really (laughs) young age we know that kids you can tell when they're like liars when they're little and one of her older sisters alice said that she lied all the time as a kid (laughs) and um she would also practice the signatures of everybody in her family so she's always doing the loops and curls of the cursive just for practice for funsies were you able to forge your mom's signature? Oh, I'm terrible at it. Oh, really? Okay. Well, uh, my mom has actually beautiful cursive. Mm-hmm. Like, it is stunning because mm-hmm. that's how she had to write. Like, mm-hmm. for me, my cursive is need-based only. Yes. Mm-hmm. Could you forge your mom's signature? I could at one point. I can. I could also forge my fifth grade teacher's signature. Ooh, nice. <laughs> Dana Johnson. That's good. Very specific. That's very good. Um, Dana. Yeah, because I used to put her signature on, like, my homework to be like, I did turn it in. Here it is. Like, your signature. She didn't know her <laughs> no! own signature? Oh, my. That's bananas. Goodness gracious. She just didn't give a shit. She was like, See, okay. the confidence I used to have. Uh, look <laughs> look could, how confident You were a con artist, honestly. <laughs> so, um... Her first fraudulent bank account happened when she was 14 years old. She went into a bank with a letter that claimed that she was inheriting money from an uncle in England and then wrote a bunch of bad checks because that's like a promissory note. Like, we will give you this money at some point. Um, It didn't take long for the banks to figure it out because she's like a child (laughs) of forging checks. Um, And she just got like a slap on the wrist because she was young and she stole money. You know, it's not a big deal. They were like, that's so cute. (laughs) You little one. What did your brother put you up to this? (laughs) (laughs) One of your 82 brothers. 
She um, pulled off different kinds of fraud that would be impossible today because of social media and because, like we said at the top of the show, people didn't know what you look like or have to have paperwork to prove who you were. At 16 years old, Betsy ran away from home but was apprehended by police after attempting to get $250 from a prosperous farmer. Um, And by 1878, Betsy was arrested for attempting to borrow money on a stolen pocket watch. So she took the pocket watch in, like pawn shop style, take the stolen pocket watch in trying to borrow the money. And her father just settled with the victim. So she got arrested, but she wasn't charged. Okay. Within a year of getting out of this trouble, Betsy attempted to present herself as Elizabeth Cundard of the wealthy shipping family. First, she is taking this role as a fake heiress. She goes out and she's like, I'm doing it right this time. I'm going to buy expensive letterhead. She buys it out of her own stolen money so that she can make this inheritance note. She begins, again, writing a bunch of checks, buying things, but she's also overwriting the checks so that the stores have to give her back cash for the other half. So now she's actually bringing in funds and the checks are bouncing. Um So after getting about $10,000 in good on credit, the scheme collapsed and she had to run away to Toronto. I mean, any good con artist knows when to get out. Because it's not going to last forever. It's not. The gravy train is going to spill over at some point. And and you don't want to be the turkey. I think Betsy's biggest problem Mm -hmm. is that she couldn't stop herself. Like, she is a real thief. And it's like, just take the $2 million and walk away. Do you need the 21? Do you need it? Betsy, I don't think you do. You're just a random girl from Ontario. Like, you'll be fine with 2 million. I just so believe that, like, it honestly probably wasn't, like, of course it's about the money, but, like, I think that she would be doing this if she was good at it or bad at it. It's about the thrill. She loves the thrill. Yeah, and they wouldn't, like, let women have jobs and shit, so she's probably bored off her ass. So she's just taking it back from the patriarchy yeah. that was going to, you know, knock her for the She takes it back from king of patriarchy at one point. Okay. <laughs> the very next year, Betsy was arrested in Ontario for attempting to negotiate for more forged promissory notes. She supplemented the notes this time with calling cards that read, like, Miss Bigley, heiress of $15,000. So she has these very expensive-looking things that makes banks trust her. Uh-huh. And, like... If you piss off an heiress, then you're not going to get their business. So she's playing it correctly. Yeah, before paperwork, a lot of this was based off of, like, a hunch. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> are you charismatic enough to make, to make me trust you? So she did stand trial for this one, March 22nd, and her lo- in 1879, and her lawyer employed the insanity defense, because she's a woman, so they can do that, uh, for her behavior, and the jury found her not guilty, and her family was just like, okay, and sent her to live with her sister, Alice, in Cleveland, Ohio. Because Alice is married to a Cleveland, like, machinist. And they're just like, we want her out of Canada. <laughs> just get her to the, get her to her sister. She'll take care of her. Right. But then immediately she goes and takes out bank loans on all of her sister and brother-in-law's furniture. Okay, well, I don't love that. No, that that's so rude. Because I don't furniture, care if you're scamming the man. I don't care right. if you're scamming the man. But don't scam your sister. And this is like, 
furniture was like made out of actual wood back then. This oh, isn't yeah. composite IKEA shit that gets screwed together. This is like this is hundreds and hundreds of dollars mm-hmm. worth of like timber, right? Furniture in your house with a handheld craftsman. Yeah. So after a brief stay with her sister, obviously they kick her out. Mm-hmm. So she goes and rents a lower floor like apartment in a house in Cleveland. She claims to be widowed to allow her to live alone, of course. Mm-hmm. And she took the name Madame Lydia DeVere. <laughs> Under this name, living in Cleveland, she set up shop as a clairvoyant. Oh, uh, <laughs> duh. <laughs> and with these funds, uh. She's getting bank loans, uh, still calling out money on her sister's furniture. And she ends up, not too long into this, getting a proposal of marriage. So she's pretending to be this clairvoyant in Cleveland. And Dr. Wallace S. Springsteen is like, will you marry me? And she's like, absolutely. So the coming a mile away, <laughs> this proposal. I would love it. <laughs> so the couple exchanges vows before a justice of the peace, November 21st. And she takes the name Miss Lydia Springsteen. A photograph of the two is released in the newspaper along with a wedding announcement. And that is when her sister, her brother-in-law, and various debt collectors come to the house demanding payment. Like, what a silly mistake. Print the wedding. girl. The wedding announcement without a picture. Without a picture. It's fine. Nobody knows your name, but people know what you look like. I'm like kind of mad at her for making that stupid yeah, mistake. It was her husband was definitely like my my photo must be out. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? You know those old men and their photos. They love them. They love photos. Like this is the cutting edge technology. I have to be a part of it. Right. It's like the boys in their like new Google glasses. <laughs> They're like, I will spend thirteen thousand dollars on this half functioning piece of equipment <laughs> that hasn't even gone through beta testing. I will. I must. <laughs> Not even I. I must do this it it is part of my job (laughs) so obviously her husband like immediately files for divorce they're divorced within 12 days he was like i didn't even know your name which britney of her you know it's really upsetting that can you imagine being duped like that as a as a doctor you probably feel like an idiot which i mean honestly kept a lot of people from trying to turn her in because they felt dumb yeah yeah, they say mm-hmm. that happens a lot with, uh, like, cults and stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, at some point, you, like, you kind of suspect, but then you're too embarrassed because you're already so you fell in the for hole. it. You fell for it. Yeah, so you're like, it has to be true or I'm a huge fucking idiot. Yeah. Like, it sucks. It's a horrible position. And, like, if you're in a cult, you're not an idiot. It could happen to literally anyone. Oh, my I gosh. Just people, people are so that. convincing. Yeah, all the cult people listening to this yeah. podcast. <laughs> They get out. All the people in cults that have free access to information <laughs> <laughs> know that you can get out safely. We're come, here for you. Come and live at my house. Okay. So after her first marriage fell apart, she reestablishes herself as another clairvoyant, Madame Marie LaRose, and marries John R. Scott, who is a farmer in Ohio. She moves out to the county with him, convinces him to sign, like, a prenuptial agreement, like, before they get married. Um, And they actually stay married for four years. And eventually, Betsy goes to a lawyer to get a divorce, admitting to adultery. I just think she was bored. I think she's like, I'm kind of done being married to this farmer boy and just wanted to get out of it. That sounds like it. She was like, oh, maybe the long con isn't worth it. Right. So then, sometime between leaving that husband... And where she goes next, she has a son 
we don't know who the dad is. I don't think she knows who the dad is. Okay. His name is Emil. He ends up going by Emil Hoover, and that's the last name she takes later on. Okay. Um, but she tells her mom and sister about this kid, and eventually the kid is with them. Like, okay. she is not raising this baby on the go. Okay. So then she forges more promissory notes uh, from this guy named Richard Brown in Ohio. Um, and once one of those works, she does it several, several times. Now, she and her, quote, accomplice get caught. But her accomplice is just like some guy that worked at a bank and he had no idea. But a lot of times when she got charges pressed, so did the bank people. Okay. Because they were like, I didn't know I was falsifying this money. She was actually convicted this time for the first time and sentenced to nine years in prison. Wow. Um, but after about three years, she gets paroled for good behavior. Mm-hmm. Actually, by the current governor of Ohio, future president, William McKinley, <laughs> paroles her. Bill? <laughs> He's crazy. I love uh, it. And then, you know, three years later, he gets assassinated. Aww. He's like one of our four presidents that goes down the hard way. There goes Bill. <laughs> <laughs> too soon question mark i don't know that alice in wonderland yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who knows? <sighs> upon her return to society she assumes the name miss cassie hoover getting closer to the cassie chadwick okay. <laughs> and opens a brothel <gasps> on the west wow. side of cleveland that this. is one step up from fortune teller. It is. It's one <laughs> step. It's, I mean, a more prosperous option. Well, this one you have employees. Sure. Yeah, you have employees <laughs> and you have a, m- white men giving you money, which is nice. Yes. I feel like a lot of clairvoyance, like we're serving women, yes. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is where she meets her next husband, a wealthy widower and doctor named Leroy Chadwick. Knowing of the doctor's recent loss of his wife, she plays the genteel widow part herself to this respectable man. And she tells him, I run a boarding house. And he's like, who the fuck are you kidding? Everybody knows this is a brothel. Like, I'm here because it's a brothel. And she faints upon finding that out (gasps) and then begs him to get her out of such a dirty place. I love that move (laughs) for women of the era. Good move. Good Fainting on command. Excuse me, I'm going to swoon for a minute. <laughs> Excuse me while I swoon. <laughs> so now Betsy is Cassie Hoover marrying Leroy and becomes Cassie Chadwick. Um, during this time, she's the wife of a very highly respected Dr. Hoover. Cassie is... Uh, having some very bad spending habits with his money, but she's living on millionaire row. So Cleveland was at one point a very booming city. Mm-hmm. Namely the Rockefellers lived there Oh, okay. and like a lot of other very famous wealthy families. So she's living on the row of mansions mm-hmm. with her doctor whilst interacting with all these other people. And they are actually wary of her. They're like, she just popped up out of nowhere. Leroy was like sad because his wife died and they're all really worried about him. So anytime she gets invited to social events, it's only out of obligation. They okay. don't like her and they're very suspicious. Following the marriage, Dr. Chadwick, um, To Dr. Chadwick, Cassie starts her largest and most successful con game of all time, establishing herself as the illegitimate daughter of none other than Andrew Carnegie. (laughs) Now, 
of the library <laughs> of everything you've ever been to. <laughs> now, here's what I found out actually from doing this research. When we name a building, we call it like Carnegie Hall uh-huh. or something, but his name is actually pronounced Carnegie. I have heard that. Yeah. yeah. So like because the buildings have been named for so long, we left it, but we all just like kind of recently found out we've been mispronouncing his name. So historians are now changing the way they say it. Yeah. You know, I grew up on a street with a Carnegie. Did you? Uh-huh. So you on, know the, on Hamilton on Ave? Hamilton <laughs> Avenue. The one and only? Yes. It, it's a little library. Mm-hmm. And now it is a drug treatment facility. Perfect. Um, but yeah, the, it, they were going to tear it down because it was in horrible, horrible shape. But then they found out that it was a Carnegie Library, so mm-hmm. they couldn't do that. Like, right. you legally cannot tear it down because it's like a historic artifact. Right, yeah. So now it's a drug treatment center. Perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's something. It's something. <laughs> thanks, Andrew. Um, thanks, Andrew. Andy boy. But yeah, but that's a fun fact. That's a good fact. I didn't know about <laughs> Hamilton Avenue. No, yeah. I didn't. So she and Leroy go to visit New York City, as you do when you're wealthy and living in Ohio. So during her visit to New York, she... Um, asks one of her husband's lawyers, James Dillon, hey, I'm going to go into the city and like a visit Andrew, you know, and he takes her in the carriage to the Carnegie house and she's like, okay, I'm going to go inside and he waits in the carriage, assuming like you're the heiress, I'm not invited in this house. And when she goes in to supposedly meet with Andrew, she is, you know, I mean, you know, Andrew, the steel tycoon, the richest man in the world at present. Yeah. Um, she's actually meeting with his um, maid and she is trying to she's doing it under the guise that she is interviewing a maid for her estate. But she's really like finding out all the information she would need to fake being his illegitimate daughter. OK, so she's like getting like small little details that only that type of person God, she's so smart. would know. Yes, she is. So when she goes outside, she gets back in the carriage and she drops a paper on the floor and just kind of leaves it. And of course, the lawyer, Dylan, picks it, last name Dylan, picks it up and he notices it's a promissory note for $2 million with Carnegie's signature. Um, and she's like, oh, you have to promise to keep my secret he would be so ashamed if he knew if the world knew that the honorable Andrew Carnegie had an illegitimate child he would just be so shamed and the lawyer's like of course I would never tell anyone but of course she's banking on him telling Telling everyone everyone. (laughs) (laughs) yes that's the thing about con artists is they are also so attuned to the human condition Mm mm-hmm like, she knows that he's not going to fucking keep this information to himself. Yeah. I love that. Okay. <laughs> but she's also not, like, going around flaunting it. Somebody else is flaunting it. Because she knows that's what makes it believable. Right. You know what this <laughs> is reminding me of? Never been kissed. <gasps> yes. Yes. <laughs> of course. What a weird movie, by the way. Very weird. Truly upsetting, honestly. I will still watch it. But I, of it course. Is the one you really... I can't think about it too hard. There's a lot of things that came out in the 90s and 2000s that, like, really make me hurt. We can't go too deep on it because no. it's sad. <laughs> it's, like, really uncomfortable. Um, but, yeah, like, when her brother comes in and he's like, yeah, she's, like, the heir to, like, I don't even remember what it was. It's, like, saran wrap fortune or something. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish I made plastic. <sighs> okay. Anyways. So she told anybody who questioned her, or, or she knew. She knew that 
nobody is going to ask for verification because at this time in history, it's just a simple fact of politeness. You don't ask Andrew Carnegie about his illegitimate daughter, but they also don't want to risk pissing her off or pissing him off. So she claims that there are $7 million in promissory notes tucked away for her in her Cleveland home and that upon his death, she's going to inherit $4 million and she forges all of this paperwork. She told those who would listen uh, that she, it's, a, it's a big secret, right? The information, of course, like we said, is going to leak to the financial market of Ohio and <laughs> banks start like offering her their services. And over the next eight years, her fake background gets her to be able to obtain loans worth millions of dollars. Cassie relied on the assumption that nobody is going to talk to him because he'll be embarrassed. And because the loans came with pretty illegal inheritance rates, so or interest rates, they so when they give her loans, she's taking shitty deals from the banks. Really bad interest because she's never actually gonna have to pay it back. But the banks know they're duping her, so they also don't want to admit that they would treat a customer like that. So they're hiding what they did. She's banking on the fact that nobody is going to say anything. I love all of this. She's great. She's very to, <laughs> to be Cassie. It's so smart mm-hmm. because again, it's like she's relying on the reliability of polite society. And She's relying on the reliability that men are going to try and take advantage of her. Mm-hmm. And she is just playing that role so perfectly. She's walking a very fine line. God, and really, if it wasn't for the photo in the newspaper, she'd be batting 100. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. So she carries out a lavish, lavish lifestyle. Like I said, she does not just pause at the couple million. She's like really raking it in. She bought herself diamond necklaces. She has 30, count them 30. 30 closets full of clothing, lavish clothing. She has a gold organ that she bought to not, I don't even know if she can play the organ. Why do you need a gold organ? So many pipes. And she became known as the queen of Ohio. She claimed that she was giving money to the poor and to the suffrage movement, but really she just like couldn't pay it back. So in November of 1904, and I mean, she was doing the thing where she borrowed money from one bank to pay another bank. Ah, Duh! Sorry. Siri! No, Siri, no. Siri, no! She was doing the thing where she would borrow money from one bank to pay to another bank to kind of cover her tracks. Like, she's, like, bouncing back and forth. Paying paying Peter to pay Paul or whatever it is. Stealing from Peter? Stealing from Peter to pay Paul. You're batting zero on the phrases tonight. It's great. It's great. So in 1904, Cassie receives... Um, almost $200,000 from this Massachusetts banker. But then he starts to look into her past and he's shocked to see how much money she has called out on loans. He's super suspicious how this random woman accumulated millions of dollars of debt. So he sues Cassie uh, and a ton of bankers come forward to say the same thing. And because it's multiple states, it becomes a federal investigation. <gasps> she gets arrested in New York and um, taken back to Ohio. Uh, the primary crime is bankruptcy. So she took so many loans from certain banks that they 
were embarrassed to talk about that they had to claim bankruptcy, which actually also causes bank runs in Ohio for a lot of people who had their money in those banks. So she possibly single-handedly destroyed Cleveland. Yeah, the economy of like the of Cleveland, Ohio is like fraught because of her. <laughs> um and like the thing is too, it's not just the bankruptcy because it's multiple states and multiple like uh bank things she's also getting tried for conspiracy which is a big federal crime um so her husband leroy chadwick and his adult daughter quickly leave the country (laughs) when the scandal breaks uh he files for divorce and they go on a european tour (laughs) they're like we're just gonna like pretend this is not happening which nothing related we just wanted to see paris in eight years he had to have known there had to be at some point when he figured it out and then was like, I'm in too deep that I don't know what to do. Cult of one. Yeah. We've seen it happen. Oh, like, yeah. we're like, people are like, oh shit, I think my spouse is a psychopath, but now what, what do, do I do? do? Leave them? And nobody's going to believe me because it happens mostly in private. Yeah. And like, you look like a dummy. Especially like in that time period when like divorce is so frowned upon. Meanwhile, like Cassie has a. <laughs> whole handful whole handful handful of divorces and like also too i think husbands because they were seen as responsible for their wives at that time that they would then also have to take on Mm -hmm. these debts Mm -hmm. so i i mean she's millions of dollars in debt right now he's like i'm leaving the fucking country but when the man whose bank she single-handedly wrecked gets also taken into prison because they're like they could kind of tell cassie was make like wheeling and dealing she would be like if you just take this note that you think is kind of sketchy and print out a real one then like i'll make sure you get paid back more than the other people so there were people that she kind of convinced to work with her okay but he they meet in prison like at a like a meeting before their trial and he's like you ruined me but i'm still he still kind of believed in her she was such a good con artist that he wasn't sure still if she was actually the illegitimate daughter of Andrew. He had no idea. Um, So the Philly newspaper said that her her extraordinarily performance was crazy because she was 50 years old, not pretty, had no charm, and no regard for dress. She was partially deaf and speaks harshly. So people really wonder how she did this because she wasn't super pretty and she Mm -hmm. wasn't super charming. Some people say hypnotism. She's hypnotizing people. Most people go, she was very smart. She was smart, and she, as you said a couple minutes ago, relied on people being embarrassed. I think she just understood human beings yeah. in a very deep, fucked-up way. Absolutely. And she took advantage of that. And like, the guy at the bank that she bankrupt said, I'm either an awful dupe or a terrible fool. Which, I mean, that's what you said at the beginning of the show. Like, that's how people feel about this. Um, he was distraught and tearful. He did get, um, he died before the official trial. But the other cashier that was a part of this got sentenced to seven years in prison. And his wife actually, like, went crazy from the stress. Ugh. They, like, hysteria or, like, whatever yeah. they called of women back then. Mm-hmm. Andrew is so offended that people thought that this was his illegitimate daughter. Not only because he's like, I wouldn't do that, which we don't know if he wouldn't do that. 
but also because he's like the grammar and spelling on this paperwork is ridiculous. No, everybody thinks I can't spell. I'm a multimillionaire. And it's like because he's a Scottish immigrant, like all that stuff that he's getting like a little bit like slightly judged. Um, It's a two week trial. Andrew is there. She pled not guilty. Um, Andrew wanted to see the woman that everybody believed was his illegitimate daughter's. Other people attend from Millionaire Row to watch her, like, fall apart as she took apart the banks. The trial was a media circus. On March 10th, 1905, a Cleveland court sentenced her to 14 years in prison with a fine of $70,000 for conspiracy to bankruptcy and conspiracy against the government. January 1st, 1906, Cassie was sent to the Ohio State Penitentiary in Columbus. She brought with her trunks of goods to her prison, clothing, photographs, furniture, and they allowed it because of her celebrity status. (laughs) Celebrity status. But in prison, her health seriously deteriorated. She began writing explicit instructions for her funeral and sending them to her son, Emil, Um, And she also started sending him letters about where pieces of her fortune were hidden because she did have a lot of money. Um, Cassie suffered from a nervous collapse in 1907, leaving her blind for a little bit. Um, And by October, the New York Times reported that she was suffering from heart troubles and stomach troubles. She died on her 50th birthday. Mm in prison in Columbus and was interned at a cemetery near her birthplace in Canada. For a time, her mansion on Millionaire Row was a tourist destination, but in 1920, it was torn down and it's now like a temple or a Baptist church. Cassie's housekeeper, Mary, took like a lot of satchels and like cases and stuff because she was like I know she has money hidden hidden somewhere so she's kind of like taking a lot of valuables so we don't actually know how much money she took but we think it's around 21 million dollars in that time money um but it's hard because again there's not a lot of not everybody reported and we didn't find all the money and the cash and what she spent and all her belongings that like got handed on to other people to pay back her assets after she got thrown in prison. Andrew Carnegie was so distressed about how his name was used that he started making gifts to towns of libraries and buildings. He couldn't believe that somebody would use his name like that. So he started like building public buildings to help people. Can you fucking believe that? No, I can't. That's really upsetting. And he came to Hamilton Avenue in Baltimore, Maryland. (laughs) And was like, you guys need something. You need it more books because of cassie he became <laughs> such a philanthropist he was so embarrassed that oh somebody God. would use him like that it is bananas the way she like i'm sure they created some kind of bank regulations oh in response yeah to her she's so the like, reason we have to bring 18 pieces of paperwork everywhere we go just affected the world in oh yeah this very extreme way. yeah so her husband leroy eventually came home but the creditors tracked him down and he had to pay a lot of them back and eventually went bankrupt himself. Oh. 
In pop culture, uh, Illegitimate is a feature script that was shown at a film festival and won the semi-finalist role and is currently in production oh, development called exciting. Illegitimate. Cassie was also the subject of a Canadian TV movie, Love and Larceny. <laughs> and um, like I said earlier, she's in the HBO miniseries, The Gilded Age. She is known as the greatest con artist of all time. And although she went by many names, her tombstone clearly says Elizabeth Bigley. Wow. Her, her real birth her name. Her real birth name. That's in shocking. Canada. Canada. <laughs> Directly north of the Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the story of Cassie. All right. Well, let's talk about these two women together in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. The Confidence. My God. Hi. <laughs> Yes, they are both very confident, but I feel like this is what happens when you have a good girl being confident and a bad girl, because that is like the clear delineation between their two stories. And it's also like the time period because mm-hmm. Silva, um, Scylla, Scylla was able to channel her confidence into an art form. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Betsy, I guess we call her Cassie. <laughs> Who knows was didn't have that ability to do that right and really when you think about it like conning is an art form like mm. there is an art to it and it's something that like you can't I guess you can with like auto-tune and stuff but at some point like you can't really fake being like a broad you can't fake being a Broadway level talent yeah you oh, know yeah. what I'm saying and you also you have to be naturally talented at conning people like I feel like we've known a few people you know, like our friend Alex, who, like, you know, growing up with him, I was like, he's an incredible con artist. And like, we all knew it. He can thankfully. talk anybody into anything. Yeah. And it's one of those things like you either have it or you don't. You either mm-hmm. have the talent to sing on Broadway or you don't, you know, and it's so clear. Yeah. <laughs> people who don't. Well, it's also like wanting to be in the public eye versus wanting to hide yourself. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it's like, I think that we have Cassie who wants more money, but also has to hide Mm -hmm. behind these fake names. And it's different for Priscilla. Like Mm -hmm. she wants to be public, wants to be known, is out on stage working her ass off Mm -hmm. to be the best she can be. Yeah. But you know what's funny too is even though they have that kind of opposite view of like their own personal fame, they're also opposite in like Scylla is best friends with, not I wouldn't say best friends maybe, but she's very close with the Beatles. And I didn't really see her like talk, like it's not like she used that as leverage exactly. Like it opened up opportunities for her, but like, you know, she was friends with a lot of famous people, but then like became famous in her own right. And I feel like Cassie or Betsy or whatever was just like making up these fake relationships to famous people to get ahead. Oh, yeah. So it's so interesting because it's a surprise when you find out that like Syl is connected uh-huh. to all these famous people. Surprise! And then it's kind of a surprise when you find out that Cassie is not. <laughs> I mean, Cassie her whole life was going, surprise! Yep, like, exactly. guess what? Guess what? I'm not a clairvoyant. You don't, guess what? I don't been married to a stranger. Own a brothel. You don't even actually know my name. You yeah. married me. We signed paperwork. You crazy. <laughs> it, I mean, that is one of the things that I continually... I, so, Scylla is like, I'm... She does this talk show 
where you said like she finally gets to be herself yeah and that's what people loved and Cassie never wanted to be herself she wanted to be someone else but it's like she I think she could have used her talents to rise in society but she just used she wanted a shortcut she wanted an easy Mm -hmm. out Mm -hmm. and Scylla was not taking easy outs there's a part of me that wonders like in this day and age I feel like a brain like Cassie's like she would have been like a Wall Street banker yeah or like someone who is like or like a stock trader you know like or like a professional gambler. You know, like how like that guy who won all those Jeopardy games was like a professional gambler. Right. I feel like she would be that. Like, I don't think she'd ever be comfortable getting money from like a legitimate source exactly. Like it always have to be a little back alley, mm-hmm. you know? But it's like I feel like it would be something along those lines though, you know, because she is so smart she's so talented and i was thinking a lot about she's like, an insider trader she yes that's what she is exactly white collared criminal <laughs> um art art forgery <laughs> but i was also thinking about we talked a lot in cassie's story about the human condition and i was kind of thinking of cassie as like being like tiktok which comes into Scylla's story whereas like cassie understood what was going to happen like she could see 12 moves ahead and I feel like that's the way like these social media sites are now, which is ironic because we said many times too, she couldn't have existed in the time of social media. Yeah. Like she couldn't, she have. just couldn't have done all the cons that she did. She would have found her way around. I have <laughs> no doubt about that, but it's like, I think that way with Instagram and TikTok and Facebook, it's like your behavior is so, uh, I don't know, like calculated mm-hmm. and like, they know what you're going to do and they like know what you're going to click on and what you're going to look at. And I feel like that's how Cassie was operating, you know? It's true. And in that same vein, they were both known because their face showed up on a random source. (laughs) That like, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, now you're on TikTok. Oh, now your wedding announcement is out. That's 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 how we found you. Yeah. Even though like to other people, they were well known. Yeah. But not to the public. Yeah. What a weird comparison. Yeah, this was weird. Like, throughout, like, while you were talking, I was like, I don't, I, like, really was having a heart. I was like, I don't know what we're going to talk about these two because they did live such different lives. Different, but very interesting. Yes. Both of them mm-hmm. coming out on, and they were so connected to some very famous people. Yes. <laughs> Real or imaginary. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, who would you like to toast this evening? I just want to toast people for shooting their shot. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to do something, I mean, she didn't, I mean, she did hurt people. Yeah. Financially, I don't want to say that she didn't hurt people because that isn't true. She like that is financial stress is one of the hardest stresses that exists. But also she didn't like stab anyone. (laughs) Like there's a white collar crime is a very dangerous crime because it's mentally harming to other people. But she took the shot that she had. Yeah. At the time. Cheers. Cheers. I want to toast women who are famous within a very specific group of people. <laughs> I thought that that was the most you mean interesting me? thing. How <laughs> um, so interesting about Sil's story is like she's very famous in the UK. And like, again, I, and now she's very famous on TikTok and I've never fucking heard of her. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a very specific type of fame and I'm here mm. for it. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Now, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? 
So I'm doing an anti-promo tonight. Okay. So most people who watch the Super Bowl or into sports know that the week before the Super Bowl, there was a picture that was like put up of Patrick Mahomes um, in the locker room after the AFC championship with his shirt off mm -hmm. and people just started ragging his body. And I feel like if this was a picture of a woman and people were doing this, that people would be fiery. Yes. It is not funny. No. It's not funny to make fun of someone's body. Like, yes, okay, he's an elite quarterback, whatever. I, it doesn't make him – I don't think it makes him fair game for body shaming. No, it doesn't. Yes. I hate it, and it I, makes me so uncomfortable. It's horrible. I, I feel really – sad and bad about it because I have not seen a lot of people because yes everyone's mad at the Chiefs because they keep winning like yes he's super famous and people are mad that his wife is friends with Taylor Swift it's like so what you can't just like openly attack someone's like physical person yeah I don't like that at all you're right to anti-promo that because I didn't know about it until you had told me about it and I was very disturbed because it's just it's not okay and he's been dealing with it really nicely in the media. He's like, yeah, dad bod, I am a dad. Yeah. But it's also like we don't need to, like, do that. Mm -hmm. We don't need to do that. Yeah. No, we don't. Well, I also have a Super Bowl-related promo. Look at us. <laughs> Look at us. Being sports. <gasps> sports. Um, so mine is a series of SNL skits that I routinely go back to. And these are the fake Totino's commercials. <laughs> Do you know the one Good, that I'm talking yes, about? Yes, yes. So Vanessa Bayer, Bayer um, she plays this wife in a Totino's commercial. And she's I think always, she is beautiful, by the way. She's so beautiful. So beautiful. And she's always making those snacks for her hungry guys. <laughs> and it's a play God. on these like horrible commercials. And there's a series of them, though. And They're it, like, so it funny. And keeps amping up. And then the last one is like Kristen Stewart coming in. She's like, I'm Sabine. What's your name? She's like, I've never had one. <laughs> Yes. And again, this is me being the worst and describing an SNL skit to you. Hey, it's fine. And then they're just like. I think you're a good, you are a good skit describer. Don't sell yourself you. short ever. I'm trying to hit the highlights. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, and like the highlight for me is like, she's like, stay with me. And she's like, what about my hungry guys? <laughs> and Kristen's going to stare goes, what are you hungry for? <laughs> it's like this dramatic music and they're like making out on the Totinos. Perfect. The, every single one of those skits is so good and I love it and I'm going to recommend it. I honestly think <laughs> that the SNL commercials, because they are pre-recorded, are underrated. Yes. They're well, so fucking funny. Because they're pre-recorded, sometimes they're cut for time. So right. they don't even air. And they're great. So good. And honestly, they, I think that is where the actual bread and butter of SNL is. Like, obviously, like the live skits are great. Right. But when they do a commercial parody, it is the funniest university in my it life. It is. They're, they're very good. I was watching. So my girls watch the reruns now on our streaming app. And they'll be like, I thought that was a real commercial for a second. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's the point. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. So good. Okay. 
All right. Well, thank you for joining us. We um, love you. We love to yes. have you. And we can't wait to see you next week. Yeah. We'll be back with another episode. And then we're going to do a replay of a classic ATTR episode. KT is out of town. Um, but yeah, hang out with us. Rate and review us. Join the Patreon. Follow us everywhere at Hearst Around the Rocks. But most importantly, never forget that well-behaved women. <laughs> they say what they mean to say. Yeah. And they really make us free. <laughs> Goodbye. You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.